I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Ran Goldie, Chief Executive Officer of First DAG, Principal Payment Rail for the soon-to-be-launched DM Association-backed stablecoin. That's kind of a big deal, isn't it? It's a big deal. I hope it will be, yes. Well, let's talk about the digital payments ecosystem. Where does what you're in the throes of doing sit within that? Because it's a very fast-changing field at the moment. We've been doing this for about, I would say, two and a half years, focusing on payments with stablecoins. And, and it has changed tremendously over that time. And where we fit in is, I would say it's, a, it's actually a very simple concept. Our goal is to help businesses, merchants, to accept payments with stablecoins. And, and this comes from our belief that the world right now is undergoing an amazing change an upgrade, if you will, of all of its financial systems, slowly, slowly, from banking systems to remittance platforms to payments platforms to the everyday currencies we use. It wouldn't surprise you if I would say that I think that within five to 10 years, most countries in the world would probably have a CBDC, a central bank digital currency of their own, right? A digital dollar, a digital pound, a digital peso, et cetera. Where we fit in is we've built our platform so that merchants would be able to accept those payments, whether those are in existing stable coins like USDC or Celo or DM when it goes live, and in the future, CBDCs, right? The central bank digital currencies, because we think that is where the payments world is going. What would you say the big tech and card companies are doing at the moment? Because surely this is potentially going to put some of the card companies out of business. Well, lucky for the card companies, they have very smart people sitting, I want to say, probably part of their executive team and and probably a lot of smart people below that. Visa and MasterCard are not standing aside without doing anything. Visa has been learning the space for, I think, over five years already. And if you actually look at what they've done, they've invested in Circle, which is one of the largest crypto companies or blockchain-based companies in the world, and one of those that actually created USDC. And they have actually announced that they are willing to do settlements in USDC. Also, what they've done is they've allowed a lot of different wallets, crypto wallets, to actually be on and off ramps using Visa cards, meaning If you're a wallet and you have a balance of, uh, I don't know, five Bitcoins, you'll actually be able to connect a Visa credit card or a MasterCard credit card, for that matter, to that wallet and spend those funds in, you know, anywhere, any place in the world where you have a Visa or MasterCard accepted. So Visa actually also invested in Anchorage, which is a digital asset custodian. Right. Visa has a crypto division. Visa, and I'm saying Visa a lot because I think they're one of the most active companies in that space. And from the get-go, they were actually betting on stable coins to be this interim patch between today and five to 10 years from now until governments would issue CBDCs. I think they saw that coming. They've made that bet. And they're still making that bet, working with a lot of crypto companies. MasterCard, on the other hand, the way I see it, they really thought that CBDCs would come faster than than how fast they're coming today. And if you read their blog and insights in the past 
two, three, four years, you see that they were working with a lot of governments and regulatory entities to create frameworks for CBDCs and to create technologies around that. Eventually, I think, and this is in the last year, MasterCard realized probably that CBDCs is still very far away. They've also started investing in crypto companies. And actually, a month ago, during Money 2020 in Vegas, they've announced a partnership with one of the largest public companies in the crypto space called Bact, that allows essentially every MasterCard user or cardholder, let's say, to connect in, in some form of way, I don't want to get into details, to connect their cards into their accounts in crypto and spend those, those crypto funds at a MasterCard point of sale. Now, What's amazing, and again, I said MasterCard, I said Visa, both of them have changed their language around payments, which is really interesting. They are not only now your card provider. They are now saying, you know, we are the rails of money. We are the rails of of any payment method you want. Card, that's just one thing we do, right? We now we do crypto if you want. Now we do B2B payments. Obviously, they've been doing that for a long time, but but they now changed the messaging of their company because they understood that cards obviously on decline, other methods are on the rise. Visa, I just uh, I'll, I'll remind everyone, Visa tried to acquire Plaid. Uh, an American company that helps fintech apps connect to banks through different credential sets. They actually failed because of antitrust and they got a cheaper deal in Europe. What I'm surprised, Robin, is, you know, where's Discover? Where's where's Amex? And I've met those people actually at Money 2020 in Vegas. I literally walked into the Discover booth and I, and I asked them, why the hell aren't you guys doing anything in crypto? And I thought I'd get thrown out. Uh, I almost did. But they, they eventually told me, listen, we, ha- we now have a team. We're learning this. We're going to do this. Uh, I met the people at Amex at one of the events. They said the same. I think that just going back to your original question, the card companies, Visa and MasterCard, they don't want to stand aside. They're, they understand the shift. Discover and Amex, not that much. I think we'll only see things coming out of their labs or innovation spaces probably in the next six to 18 months. But I think everyone now has woken up to the realization that uh, the world of payments, whether it's consumer to business, business to business, is changing drastically with this technology. Well, in terms of crypto, I think it's fair to say that the cryptocurrencies that people are currently aware of, the likes of Bitcoin and Ether, are a little too volatile to be used as currencies. But that's not the case when you have something like a stablecoin or a CBDC. What I'm hearing you say is that the coming of CBDCs is inevitable, but it may be 10 years away yet. Yes, because, and I'm not trying to complain, although that is in my nature, but I think that governments just they want to feel comfortable with, with, you know, with the risks. They want to feel comfortable with the technology. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's not that the stablecoin technology has been around for, you know, for ages and has been used by tens of millions of people or battle tested thoroughly. It hasn't yet. It hasn't stood in a financial crisis, etc. But it is amazing. It is it is worth note taking. And we, I think we have seen in the last 18 months, especially American regulators, U.S. regulators, take a step forward with the presidential working group around stablecoins, etc. But, you know, I've been in, in the crypto space for 
probably five to six years. I've, I have seen a lot of regulatory changes, but we're still only 10 to 20 percent, I think, of the road towards a full CBDC in, in a Western country. Well, what we have to have is we have to have security and we have to have accessibility. And then it becomes a trusted medium of exchange, doesn't it? Yeah, you're right. And I think that's why we see the um, the regulators in the U.S. allow or accommodate those stable coins and not kill them uh, altogether. And and you know I've been I've been walking around the uh, you know the different payment providers and platform creators, and what I've heard is that you know we now have several banks in the U.S., but not only in the U.S., actually working on their own stable coins, which is super interesting. I think. Because I think that if a bank is working on a stable coin, that means that tells me two things. One, uh, they've double checked with their regulator and he's okay with them doing this. Two, they understand that it's worthwhile to put money and invest on that technology because it's going to take time until the Federal Reserve or anyone else will say, no, you are now using our CBDC. Okay, so that tells me that stable coins are not going away. They might become actually more institutionalized than they are today by private companies and that CBDCs are still five years away at least. Well, we're not going back to the future. It almost sounds to me as though we're going back to the past. I could turn the dial back to the late 18th century, the early 19th century, where every bank issued its own banknote. That is a huge concern. I, 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 unfortunately, I don't remember that time because I wasn't. <laughs> I heard a lot about it. You know, as you probably know, the Federal Reserve actually got created because of that, right? And w- when I talked to some of those banks, the first question I asked them was, "What about interoperability? You know, your bank A, there's bank B, bank C. I don't want to use dollar A, dollar B, dollar C. I haven't got amazing answers." out of the people who are now developing this, which which is fine for now. But I think that what we will see next year, 2022, definitely 2023, we will probably see some interesting banks working together, cooperating to some extent to make those different dollars interoperable. And that, Robin, is, I think, the essence of blockchain and the change we're, we're undergoing because this technology, unlike... SWIFT or SEPA or other payment systems is actually interoperable or allows for interoperability. Connecting blockchain A and blockchain B, if that's different banks, that's easy. We've already done that with uh, thousands of different currencies in crypto. Unlike connecting SEPA and SWIFT, which never happened yet, right? Uh, So I think that while I hope we're not going to go back to the uh, 1700s, 1800s, I think that we might see just a glimpse of that, but very shortly after, great interoperability, I hope. Well, the one thing that we can say is that this is a period of change in financial services, unlike anything we've ever seen before, driven by technology. Driven by technology and driven by, I hope that's not an unpopular opinion, but driven by COVID uh, and driven by the fact that 40% of the money today out there in the world was printed pretty much in the last 18 to 24 months, that money trickled all the way 
to the VCs who are fueling fintech companies like crazy. That's on one hand. And on the other hand, again, everyone was, everyone was home. Everyone were, were practicing e-commerce. Everyone were practicing P2P payments. All of those companies' growth was amazing. Triple-digit growth across the board from Robinhood to remittance apps. And I think that helps set the stage for more complex solutions or, or more innovative payment options for, for everyone. Ryan Goldie, Chief Executive Officer of First Ag, thank you very much.